Nakamura. I am E. Spencer Kite. It is episode 32 as we look back on UFC on ESPN, Car France versus Albassi. UFC Vegas 74 took place last night at the UFC Apex. We're going to change up the format of things here on the takeaways a little bit. I want to I want to try some different stuff here. I want to really kind of drill down on a few key points and key elements that I want to talk about rather than going piece by piece through every fight and and giving you a little something on each matchup. What we will do first is just run through the results. So main event Amir Albazi defeats Kai Kara France by split decision, 48-47 across the board, 2 to 1 for Albazi. We'll talk about that in great detail here coming up. Co-main event Alex Caceres defeats Daniel Pineda by unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board there for Bruce Leroy who gets a good victory. Jim Miller knocks out Jesse Butler in 23 seconds to register his 24th UFC victory and make that UFC 300 dream even more real. Tim Elliott defeats Victor Altamirano by unanimous decision, 30-27, excuse me, twice and 29-28 once. Flyweight Kareem Silva submits Ketlin Souza by knee bar a minute and 45 into the opening round. We will touch on Killer shortly as well. Main card opener, Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos defeats Abubakar Nurmagomedov by split decision. 29-28 on all three scorecards, two in favor of the Brazilian. On the prelims, Daniel Santos defeats Johnny Munoz Jr. 29-27, three times. He gets a 10-8 in one of the rounds where Munoz had very little to offer. We will talk about his approach later in the program. Heavyweights Dontale Mays stops Andre Arlovsky in the second round. A big overhand right finds the chin, puts him down, gets the victory for Lord Kong. John Castaneda defeated Muin Gafarov by unanimous decision, 29-27 across the board. Point deduction in that round for Muin Gafarov after a headbutt where he essentially just led in with his head. It's kind of like an NFL play. Where a, where a DB is targeting somebody with the crown of their helmet. That's what it looked like. We will touch on that later as well. Muhammad Naimov, big upset win, knocks out Jamie Malarkey in the second round. 2.59 in. Beautiful counter right hand, put him down for a big upset victory. Elise Reed defeats Jinju Fry. 29-28 across the board in that one. Damone Blackshear picks up a second round stoppage win over Lewin Lacerda to get his first UFC victory. And in the opener, Felipe Lins defeats Maxim Gresham 29-28 twice and 30-27 once. The Brazilian picks up his third consecutive victory since moving to the light heavyweight division. Those are the results. That's the fight card. Let's get into some of the stuff that we really need to get into here on the takeaways. And we'll start in that main event. I wrote coming out of the piece that it by no means is a robbery. And after sleeping on it, thinking about it, reflecting on it, I want to change my position there. And it's not, it, allow me to explain. I think we overuse the term robbery in mixed martial arts. We throw that term around more than it needs to be. Because I think, as Sean Sheehan pointed out, my good pal Sean Sheehan pointed out after the event, as everybody was talking about the scorecards, was talking about the decision, the influence and influx of betting content has really changed the way that we we watch fights, we speak about fights, we reflect on fights. And I think that's true here. I think we have seen far more people get into this sport over the last few years, a lot of it through the pandemic and through the rise of UFC being the only game in town on your sports betting app, on your fantasy apps, whatever it is. And so every time there's a close fight that doesn't go their way, Twitter is alight with people shouting robbery. And and in most cases, in the vast majority of cases, we're not talking about actual robberies. This is not Ross Pearson getting hosed in Albuquerque, New Mexico 
against Diego Sanchez. This is a really close fight that got scored as such. And it's understandable that judges seated at different positions around the octagon saw this close competitive battle slightly differently. Looking at the scorecards, I side, I, I landed, I fell the same way that the judge Mike Bell did. I had the fight 48-47 for Kaikara France, awarding the New Zealander the first, the fourth, and the fifth. I can understand Sal Diamato's card, where he gave Amir Albazi the first three rounds, and then the fourth and fifth to Kaikara France to arrive at 48-47 for the Prince. That one's justifiable to me. The reason I call it a robbery and the reason I suggest that I want to change my, my opinion here and, and, and the way I'm talking about it is because of Chris Lee's scorecard. So Judge Chris Lee scored the fight 48-47 for Amir Albazi, but his round-by-round round total went as this. First round to Cara France, second and third to Albazi, fourth to Albazi, and then the fifth to Kai France. The reason I, I've kind of come around to, yeah, this is a robbery, is the fourth round was contested almost exclusively at range on the feet. Kai France landed, 20, landed 27 of 65 significant strikes, 41%. Amir Abazi landed 5 of 29 for 17%. Kara France was one for one on, on takedowns. Albazi was 0 for 2. There was nothing much else that happened in that fight, in that round, excuse me, to make that any clearer to me for Kai Kara France. It just feels like, and, and I said this last night as I was starting this process of getting to where I am now. This fight card, this this scorecard from Chris Lee is similar, painfully similar, unfortunately. Well, if you're if you're on the losing side of things, painfully similar to a scorecard that he turned in in the fight between Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett last year in Austin, Texas. In that instance, again, as here, he awarded a round to Josh Emmett, the fourth round that universally everyone saw for Calvin Cater. And so while I don't think the in the the overall verdict is a robbery, I think the fact that we got here because yet again for a second time in a year that I can remember off the top of my head, Chris Lee has scored around that no one else understands that doesn't make sense to anyone else. And it swung a fight. It's altered a main event five round championship ramifications fight. And that's that to me is why this, this can be qualified as a robbery. That's why this does for me constitute being called a robbery. If he had turned in the same card as Sal Diamato, I have no objections. If this is 48-47 across the board and the two judges that scored the fight for Albazi scored it rounds one, two, and three for the Prince, we're good. No controversy, no robbery calls, no questions. But when it's a round that I can't understand how you get there, then I'm going to call it a robbery. And for anybody that is new to this podcast... That doesn't know me necessarily all that well. First and foremost, thank you for stopping by. Welcome to the platform. Glad to have you. Allow me to just explain. I am a certified judge under the ABC, having passed John McCarthy's command course. I have watched upwards of, you know, I've watched thousands of fights. I generally watch on mute because I don't care about the commentary or the commentaries down low. This isn't me just sitting here being like, oh, I picked Kai Kara France. I put out wagers on Kai Kara France on the betting show on Friday. This ruined X, Y, and Z. 
No, this is, I've watched thousands of fights and I don't understand how you score the fourth round of last night's main event for Amir Albazi. And so to me, this feels like a robbery. This feels like Kai Carl Franz was robbed of a victory. I don't care about any of the other elements of this. I don't care about, you know, the different people chiming in that it was a, it was a five figure swing for me in bets. All right. Fine. That's your situation. Fine. And, and you're entitled to feel that way, but I don't, I'm not worried about those pieces. I'm worried about, we have an official that is now in the span of one year, 12 months turned in two suspect cards, questionable cards that not just I can't explain most people in this industry that have watched for as long as I have, that have the understanding that I have are going to, are going to struggle to explain how the fourth round of that fight was scored for Amir Albazi. And to me, that makes it a robbery. The other piece of this and the one that came up in tandem as everybody was talking about the results of this fight and going over the scorecards and things like that, that make this difficult to swallow, that make this unpalatable, is that we don't get any explanation. There is no recourse here for Kaikara France. He can lodge an appeal. It will most likely fall on deaf ears and be denied. We don't ever hear from Chris Lee about how he got there. There's never a point where the head of the commission, so in this case, it's Las Vegas, Jeff Mullen doesn't come out and say, look, mistakes were made. Here's this, here's that. We've spoken to Chris. This is. There's not even a statement. And it feels like we're at a point now, and, and we've been here for a long time, Truthfully, we should have been here ages ago, but we're at a point now where there it, it really truly feels like there needs to be some kind of accountability, some kind of transparency about how we got to these scores because no one else got to that score. Not that way, at least. No one else scored that round. For Amir Albazi. And so when you're talking about hundreds of scorecards turned in, when you're talking about the the crazy number of people watching this fight, scoring it on Twitter, scoring it at home, that struggle to find a way to justify Amir Albazi being awarded the fourth round. Someone in a position of power needs to come out and explain that. Needs to come out and say, here's how I got here. It would be great if it was Chris Lee, but I also understand not rolling the official right out in front of everybody like it's a firing line. Because he is going to come under fire if it's him out there. But to me, that's why the executive director needs to be available or even a comms person like how there isn't someone at the Nevada state athletic commission whose job now is just to, at the end of the night, come out. Hey, we had a couple of these scorecards. Here's this, here's that away we go. Ariel Hawani touched on the two minute report that comes out at the end of NBA games where the last two minutes of a game is, is scrutinized and they go over the calls that the officials may have missed. So there's that little bit of transparency. It doesn't change anything, but at least it's an acknowledgement of, Hey, we got this one wrong when somebody gets this one, gets one wrong. But in this sport that never happens. And I can a hundred percent sit here inside and feel for the officials it is a thankless job. The only time we really talk about them is when they get it wrong. We don't ever come on programs like this or jump on Twitter and flex our fingers and say, man, they went 12 for 12 with decisions tonight. They got them all right. 
Good job to all of the judges. That never happens. It should. It should. We should spend more time acknowledging the moments when they get it right and not just pillorying them when they get it wrong. But like, there's got to be some acknowledgement and some accountability when you do get it wrong. And in this instance, Chris Lee got it wrong. I'm looking forward to seeing if anyone can come out and say he didn't get it wrong. Here's how, here's how he got here. I understand how he got here. I'm going to try my best to watch this fight back on Monday. I've got a lot going on with UFC 289 coming up down the road in Vancouver this week and tough 31 recaps and trying to get everything lined up, but I'm going to try to squeeze in. Even if it's just that round, I will try to squeeze it in and put out a rewatch piece on the Substack. So check that out. It's really unfortunate. It's really, truly unfortunate. And me saying that doesn't help anything. It doesn't change anything. But I think we need a change. I really do truth, truly believe that it's time for us to find a way not to hold these men and women accountable because it is a thankless job, as I said. But to have that transparency, to be able to get a little bit of understanding of how these officials get to these scores in instances where everyone is left confused. I'm not saying roll everybody out here for every split decision and make them tell you how they got there. As I've said throughout this, if Chris Lee had turned in the same scorecard as Sal D'Amato, we don't have to have any conversation. This is a close fight where it was almost wholly contested at range and it's no big shots, no big swings, just a really competitive fight. We'd have been fine. But in cases like this, where it really feels tough to wrap your head around that score in that round for that guy. I think somebody needs to come out and say, here's how we got here. This is what happened. Not for fans, not for, not just for fans, not just for any of that, mostly for these athletes so that they know what, so that they know what's going on. So that they understand. So that someone can look at Kai Car France and explain, hey man, this is what he saw. Sorry you're going home with a loss on your record and half your paycheck. That's another piece of this that we can get into at another time. I don't want to do it today because we would then be here for probably three hours on the podcast and I'm trying to avoid that. But it's time for a change. It's time for something to be done where we get some transparency, some explanation about these cards specifically. The ones where no one else can seem to understand how an official scored around that particular way, except that one person, and they just get to disappear into the ether once the night is done. Moving a little further down the fight card, a quick stopover just to give a shout out to Jim Miller for delivering the fastest finish of his career, 39 years old, still posting records. I take nothing away from this performance in terms of like overall where Jimmy's at, anything like that. Jesse Butler took the fight on Wednesday, I believe Wednesday evening. He grabbed that fight. It's a, it's a nightmare matchup to walk in in your debut against the guy that's made the most trips into the octagon and Mike bone of MMA junkie tweeted out. It is the widest gap in experience between UFC opponents ever in the history of the UFC. Jesse Butler making his debut, Jim Miller making his 42nd walk, but it was still a beautiful left hook. It was still a beautiful shot. So shouts to Jimmy for getting that one done. Congratulations to him. I do want to stop over and hang out for a minute on Kareem Silva and more broadly speaking, sort of the younger unknowns on this card that really showed out. 
So Kareen Silva, as I talked about throughout the week, somebody I was really interested in seeing on Saturday, she goes out, gets a quick takedown against Ketlin Souza, and then about a minute 30 in, she decides, I'm going to drop back and get on this heel. She It looked like she was setting up for a heel hook and in twisting and in torquing and in starting to, to grab that hold. You saw Souza's knee pop. I hope the recovery from whatever ligament damage is quick and goes well and she can make a full recovery and is back. This was the kind of dominant performance to me that should really make everyone watching the fight highlight the name Kareem Silva and really look forward to her next appearance. Moreover, in terms of sort of some of the young names and some of the young athletes on this card, we had a couple good kind of show out moments. Daniel Santos looked good, looked aggressive, super fun to watch. Muin Gafarov, despite losing, had some good elements. Muhammad Naimov, up a division, absolutely blasted Jamie Malarkey to get a knockout win, which might right now be the biggest upset in terms of expectation in the UFC this year. Damone Blackshear got a very good win. Another guy I was talking about this week. This is one of those cards where everybody goes in saying, I don't know any of these people. I'm not sure who any of these folks are. And it feels like they're never given a chance for anybody to invest in them, for anybody to really dig into them. It's part of the reason I do one question for every fight. It's part of the reason I write things like Fighters on the Rise at UFC.com. Went 3-0 and last night, by the way, just so you know. On a bit of a heater with that, with that series of identifying athletes that are going out and picking up victories every weekend. But that's, that's a little something else. It just feels to me like we spend a lot of time in this sport talking about everything but the athletes and everything but the performances. We talk about fighters not being known and not having names and not being established. And then we don't want to put in the time or we tell people not to bother putting in the time getting to know them. But like, if you sat down and watched this fight card yesterday, you're more interested in Damone Blackshear. You're certainly interested in Muhammad Naimov going forward. You're probably interested in Daniel Santos, who is just a ball of energy and aggression and going to be fun to watch every time he steps into the octagon. And you're certainly looking at Kareem Silva and saying, this is another person at flyweight that we have to account for in this wave of young ascending talents in this division. And so just there is four or five athletes that the next time out, you should be more interested in them. You now have had that introduction. And in some of these cases, it's their second or third fight in the UFC. So you've had the initial intro. Now you're building that relationship, but it feels like that doesn't happen as much. It feels like more often than not, it's, I don't know these people. You don't know these people. Let's not bother. And then when we get to a point where they're facing names we know, everybody acts like they don't know who these people are and where they came from and how could they be matched up against these different individuals. They posted a video or sorry, a screenshot yesterday during the broadcast of the main card for the event coming up in a couple of weeks headlined by Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier. And as it came out, Damon Martin tweeted out the screenshot. Mutual friend of ours, Travis Travis McPherson, shout outs to Trav, posted a, a Snoop Dogg gif of who, and Damon agreed with him. And I responded, are there really a bunch of dudes on that lineup that you don't know? And he said a couple of them, but that's pretty much par for the course on UFC events lately. So looking at that fight card, I would say, reasonably speaking, if you're somebody that watches UFC events on the regular, 
from that six fight main card. So 12 athletes, there's maybe four or five at the most that you don't know. And to me, that's stretching it depending on your level of how much you watch fights. So those names would be the, the certain ones, the ones I'm, I'm confident most people don't know are Lucas Almeida, Manuel Torres, and Nicholas Moda. There's a maybe on Armin Petrosian and a maybe on Christian Leroy Duncan. Petrosian has made a few appearances in the UFC now, coming off the Contender Series. CLD was a Cage Warriors champion, debuted in London earlier this year. He is one of the best prospects in the sport right now. So if you even follow the sport halfway seriously, you should know who he is. If you're coming into this fight card and you don't know Armin Saryukin, Joachim Silva, Pat Sabatini, Nicholas Dalby, Muslim Salikov, that's not on anybody but you. That's that's time for you to sit down and reassess and reevaluate how you define yourself as a fight fan. And to me, that mindset is the thing and that that voicing is the thing that permeates our industry and our community more and more. And yet on Saturday night, we had a bunch of these, I don't know who they are's go out and have great performances that showed you who they are and why you should be paying attention and why you should be giving them opportunities. Even when you don't know who they are, but certainly paying attention to them going forward now that people like Kareen Silva went out and secured her second first round stoppage win in two appearances in the octagon. Now that Daniel Santos went out and had another, man, this guy is fun to watch kind of performance. Now that Muhammad Naimov rolled in on a week's notice and knocked out Jamie Malarkey. Now that Damone Blackshear picked up his first win in the UFC with a dominant performance against Lewin Lacerda. It's okay to give people you don't know a chance to introduce themselves to you. It's okay to take a little bit of time to get to know some of these men and women. Because I assure you, more often than not, they are worth your knowing. Karine Silva and the rest of this crew proved that on Saturday night. And if you missed it, that's not on the UFC. You have the opportunity. There are voices like me and others in this space that told you, watch out for this woman. Pay attention to this individual. If you didn't listen, that's no one's fault but your own. Want to get to the fight between Daniel Santos and Johnny Munoz Jr. A little bit here because it was one of those fights that really sort of sort of spoke to one of the problems or or one of the challenges that we're seeing in this sport right now. And so I tweeted out during the event, if you're going to pull guard in 2023, you need to be next level slick and constantly attacking. It was in reference to Munoz pulling guard a couple times in the first round, looking to get the fight to the canvas where he believed he had a distinct advantage and essentially ending up just on bottom, either locking up close guard, locking up a body triangle from bottom and not really, he threatened with a couple things, but Daniel Santos defended well, got out of there well and beat the hell out of him while they were on the ground. We saw a few weeks ago, and it was the really far end of the spectrum example. Crone Gracie against Charles Rodin didn't have anything to offer, right? Hadn't developed any of those skills in the three years away. Was looking to pull guard, was butt scooting across the cage, trying to drag and, and get a hold of Jordan to get him to the ground. When they got there, he wasn't able to effectively do anything. Jordan did a great job of being defensive and responsible on the ground with Gracie. This was a, a similar version. Munoz was a little more attacking, a little more effective in spots. But we're at a point now in this sport, in the development of these athletes, 
where it really just is. And, and Dean Thomas talks about it on broadcasts regularly. I've talked about it. Harry has talked about it. It's not that jujitsu is ineffective in MMA anymore, but playing close guard isn't going to do you any good. Like you can't just sit there with somebody on top of you for 90 seconds, for two minutes, for anything longer than that, because you're just burning time. And so, and we saw it in, in other fights as well. Elise Reed had moments where she was on bottom against Jinhu Fry and didn't really do anything. Wasn't really effective. She, she needed to be moving quicker. And so to my tweet, that's what, that's what that tweet is about, right? If you're going to pull guard, it better be because you already know where you're going and you're starting that progression. You're starting that sequence the second your back hits the canvas. Because if you're not, you're losing. And we need to just we need to just frame it and understand it that way. And you're gonna see athletes like Johnny Munoz struggle because there's no plan B. Plan A is get this guy to the ground and use my jujitsu. And when there's no plan B. It goes the way the rest of this fight went. There were a bunch of moments, and you saw it throughout the course of the fight. The referee, and, and I believe it was Herb Dean, was less and less patient with allowing Munoz to be on the ground and sort of try to work his way forward or get in that defensive jujitsu position where he's just kind of got his legs up, his hands behind his head, waiting to see if Santos is going to come in. Early in the fight, Gave them some time to work. Santos lands some kicks to the legs. Munoz kind of moves around a little bit. As we got into the late stages of things, the minute Santos stood up, the referee was in there and like, yeah, get up, let's go. Because this isn't working. This isn't doing anything. And I think that's a big part of this sport in terms of the like evolution that we're continuing to see and, and pieces we need to talk about as analysts and observers of this sport. Like that bit is dead. That bit of what we used to know of really great jujitsu practitioners could pull guard and just take their time, eventually set something up and you're dead to rights. Done. Buried. Over. We're seeing even world-class, legitimate world champions come into this sport and struggle because the overall understanding and capabilities of the men and women in this sport when it comes to understanding jujitsu, defending jujitsu, being defensively responsible is just next level now. And so if you are going to pull guard, if you are going to be on bottom, you need to be active. You need to be going for stuff. You need to be either trying to get up as quick as you can, feet on hips, push off, clear space, get a knee in there, get yourself up or attacking in one way or another, whether that's shots from the bottom, as we saw in the fight between Tim Elliott and v Victor Altamirano. Altamirano did well early in the first to hurt Tim Elliott from bottom. And I mean, if you want to talk about hurt from bottom, there was a fight in KSW over the weekend where dude was mounted and knocked the fella out with a left hook from on top of him. Go check that out. It is all over the internet right now. It is all over Twitter right now, I should say. But like you just have to be active. The days of pulling guard and not instantly working towards something, whether it's landing elbows, whether it's trying to work a sweep, whether it's trying to set up a submission, are done. And it became really clear to me watching that fight that like, man, you, you can't do this. You can't do this anymore. It doesn't lead anywhere because Daniel Santos is too good to just get caught. Now, maybe you still get a submission. Maybe you can still catch something. He's getting a little aggressive. There were a couple points that Munoz was, was, I wouldn't even say close on things, but had good setups. And Santos still just does the right things and moves the right way. And so... If you are a jujitsu player, if that is your base, if that is your core, you got to figure more out. It's 2023. You got to figure more out. 
and add pieces on because just dragging somebody to the ground and getting time to work and slowly and methodically getting to where you want to get to just isn't happening anymore. Sticking with that fight and circling in the bantamweight bout between John Castaneda and Muin Gafarov, I want to talk a little bit about the point deductions from Saturday night. So Santos lost a point in the third round of his fight with Munoz for a groin strike. It was the second time he had landed low, the third time in the fight that a low blow had occurred. It's one of those really interesting ones. I actually disagreed with the point deduction, but I will sort of amend that as we go here because it was a kick where he threw an inside an inside leg kick, caught the thigh and his foot rode up and hit the cup of Johnny Munoz. In the first round, they both kicked each other. They were each throwing kicks and Santos came right up the middle and I mean shin to the gooch all kinds of pain. And then in the second round, Munoz kicked Santos and Herb Dean again. It was it was Herb Dean in that fight came over and was like he didn't do anything to contribute to that one. Like this wasn't you're both throwing and it's just a mechanics thing. You just kicked him in the balls. In the Castaneda Gafarov fight, as I mentioned off the top, a point was deducted in the second round due to Gafarov leading with his head. Like he basically ducked his head and pressed forward as he's trying to close the distance. His head hit Castaneda well before any shot was landed and landed clean. And so point was immediately taken. I believe the referee in that one was Chris Tyone. And it brings up sort of the idea of point deductions as a whole and how to implement these things. And so while I said I didn't necessarily agree with Daniel Santos losing a point for his groin strike in the third. I'm going to come out here and just be the guy that, that says take a point every time for everything. You can give some warnings and, and still want to do discretionary things, right? Give, give officials the power to make these calls subjectively in the cage, in the moment. They're the ones watching. They're the ones paying attention and, and with a better sense of not even intent, but responsibility and and carelessness with some of these strikes. But like to see a bunch of people and to hear the comms say, ah, I, I don't know if I want to take a point there because in the Gafarov fight is, is crazy to me because we always frame it as we don't want the officials intervening and having an impact on how fights are scored and how these fights end up playing out. And my argument yesterday in the moment on Twitter was it's not the official. It's the offending party. Like the official is just doing their job and penalizing the person that's committing a foul or in some instances cheating. And that's not on that's not on the official. The punishment isn't the thing we should be focused on and looking at them and being like, ah, well, they shouldn't have punished them. We should be looking at the fighters and being like, yeah, you can't do that. This is the cause and effect of you doing that. And so in the Gafarov fight, it a hundred percent was the right call. There was no hesitation from Chris Tyone. He marched over and was like, cool, John, you're good. Take some time. You've got time. Come here, point, headbutt away we go. Right call 100%. It's similar to me to the fence grabs, to eye pokes, to any other thing that impacts these fights. All of these athletes know the rules. They have been competing for, at the very least, a handful of fights. The rules are the same. There's no instance where you're allowed to poke people in the eyes. You're allowed to freely kick them in the pills. You're allowed to get a whole handful of fence to defend a takedown. You're allowed to headbutt any of those things, right? The stuff that usually causes point deductions and pauses and fouls in this sport are fouls across the board. 
And so not only do they know that before signing up, they go over things in the back with the officials before the fights. They have that moment of like, hey man, just a reminder, can't do this, can't do that. It's the reason why we see before most main events, the official comes in there and says, we went over instructions in the back, no further questions from you, no further questions from you, fight clean, fight hard, fight fast, whatever, let's go, touch them up, away we go. Everybody knows this stuff. And so we have to start penalizing people for it. It's the only way to me that we're going to eliminate some of these things. Because if you have to be, as an athlete, more cognizant of not having your fingers outstretched because points are coming off the minute you poke somebody in the eye, you're going to make that change. And if you don't, you're going to lose points repeatedly. Same with targeting in terms of those low kicks that get away. And look, some of this stuff is absolutely unintentional and subjective. And I think there's still room for metting out punishments on a subjective level. I still think we, we empower officials to make some of those judgment calls. But in the instances where it has a clear impact and is something that clearly has, where it clearly impacts the fouled party or the aggrieved party, if we're talking about a takedown or something like that, an offense grab, you have to penalize. You have to take the point. And yet, this is where we can get into all kinds of things about three-round fights and 10-point must, and one point is a huge swing. But you know what? Getting kicked in the balls hurts, and it has an impact on that athlete's performance the rest of the fight. I don't care whether they win or lose. That person is feeling not great for the remainder of that fight. It's the same as eye pokes. It's the same as getting a fistful of fence to stop from being put on the ground. Just shouting at them to don't grab the fence? Sure, but they already grabbed the fence and stopped the movement and stopped whatever sequence was going to happen before they kept themselves upright. And so I get it. We don't want officials intervening and dictating the way that these things play out. But this isn't the NBA where judges are going around calling ticky-tack fouls and we're looking at games and thinking, man, these guys really have it out for Team X or Player Y this evening. This is those judges, those those referees, excuse me, just reacting to what's happening in front of them and reacting to, for lack of a better word, the crimes being committed by these athletes and metting out punishments. And I'm I'm here for it. I want to see more of it. They get all the warnings. They get all of the instructions. Everybody knows this stuff. You lead with your head, we're taking a point. You poke a dude in the eyes, we're taking a point. You get a fistful of fence to stop a takedown, we're taking a point. Don't want to lose points, don't do it. And if you lose, if it's all it's going to take to me is one person losing a fight that they otherwise dominated because they lost a couple of points for dumb shit that they shouldn't do for things where they need to just be more responsible and not make mistakes and not cheat a little bit. I really want to see if it can work. I hope some commission empowers their officials to just take points. I would love to see some kind of case study of this. If we get a reduction in fouls by doing this for a two year period somewhere, if there are any promotions, Anybody running shows that is listening to this, please implement it in your show and let me know what the results are. But we need to just start being okay with taking points. And and the other piece of this for me is folks on Twitter, I love you. I love my MMA community for the most part, but we got to get some consistency here. We either have to be 
ready to take points at all times or not be taking points at all because the hit and miss wishy-wash I want a point here I don't like it there it's tiring it's tiring the inconsistency is tiring can we just come to a agreement can we come to a resolution a consensus that we're going to just penalize these things because they have impacts on fights and we have to just be consistent with it that goes for us that goes for the officials and that goes for the athletes one more thing before we get out of here and that is muhammad naimov as i talked about a little bit earlier with him great second round knockout win over jamie malarkey one of those newer unheralded emerging names to pay attention to i just want to double down on it a little bit this is such a circle this name for future memories situation to me malarkey came into this fight i spoke to him during the week full of confidence believed he was head and shoulders better than naimov i think he fought like that a little bit on saturday and it cost him but this is a dude that took the fight on a week's notice up a division and scored that finish now it's not necessarily going to translate exactly as such when he goes back to featherweight which is where he's going to go eventually but like please understand and please remember here he took a fight on short notice crazy short notice against a guy on a two fight winning streak who was four and one in his last five fights that had a full camp that was preparing for a guy just outside of the top 15 and he went in there and starched that dude and in three to six months he will be back in there in his natural weight class and you goddamn better be paying attention i don't care who he's fighting i don't care what the rest of the card looks like if you are someone that identifies as an mma fan and a fight fan you need to pay attention to muhammad naimov i don't know how far he takes this i don't know where he ends up in his career whether he becomes a ranked fighter or a title challenger or just a dude that lives in the middle of the pack in the featherweight division i don't know but after that performance that is the quintessential gotta see him next time out kind of fight short notice knocked out a dude on the brink of breaking into the top 15 in one of the best divisions in the ufc if there is a better case for i'm interested in that guy and i want to see him fight again next time out i don't know what it is these are the moments i know i talked about this earlier and it feels like i'm doubling down because i am doubling down i want more people to pay attention to more fighters and to stick with these athletes and give these athletes that give us these great performances a chance to grow and shine and develop and be people that we talk about this was an an incredible knockout one of the best biggest upsets of the year just pay attention to muhammad naimov next time out please remember his name when it pops up in three to six months on another fight card regardless of where it is regardless of who it's against you better go and remember his name or go and seek it out on fight pass because this was a great performance and it's the kind of thing that should make every person that identifies as a fight fan circle back to see him compete the next time out and like i said earlier if you don't that's not on the ufc that's not on those of us that spend countless hours talking about these men and women and trying to tell you in advance that you should pay attention it's on you and i know that's the second time i've ended like that so it feels like the right time to wrap the show this has been the next day takeaways i am e spencer kite i hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend thank you for listening we'll be back this week with some different stuff for ufc 289 here in vancouver i'm going to tell you right now it's going to be a difficult week for me in terms of putting out content I think it will mostly just be podcast stuff. It'll just be audio components 
because that's a little easier to put together, a little quicker to put together than jumping on and needing to be here in the studio recording video. But I will try to get you as much as I can. I will be on site all week doing stuff with the UFC team and getting to to meet and speak with some of these people that I've I've talked with over the internet, as my mother would call them, my internet friends over these last bunch of years. I'm excited to be back on the scene. I hope you enjoyed the fights over the weekend. I hope you enjoyed all the coverage. Enjoy these next couple of days. I hope your week kicks off well. Appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. Check out the Substack. Subscribe for free for five bucks a month for 50 bucks for a year. Check out the guys at One Bone, onebonebrand.com, at onebonebrand on Twitter and Instagram. All this stuff is fire. ESK20 at checkout for 20% off. Follow me at Spencer Kite. Know that I love you. I appreciate you. Shouts to Harry and Imogen. Congratulations. We'll talk to you soon.